Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. The Essential 100 Bible Study, also known as E100, is led by Father Christopher Rodriguez. This study is an overview of the Bible that guides you through 50 Old Testament and 50 New Testament stories. Upon completion of the study, you will have received the big picture of God's Word. Uh, let's see, where were we last week? What did we talk about last week? We talked about Isaac. Isaac and his sa- and Ishmael, and we also talked about Isaac and his almost close with co- close call with the uh, with the knife. And several people sent me emails, and we discovered which which painting it was. It was the Garavaggio. Actually, Father Gritter spotted it for me. Garavaggio's rendition of Isaac and uh, and his dad. Uh, you know, out in the park having a good Sunday afternoon. And, uh, and it's the one where, the, where Isaac, or, or Abraham, has the knife in his hand and it's kind of falling out of his hand. What I hadn't re- recalled was that the angel actually has grabbed his hand, which is kind of cool, in the Garavaglio. But he's like, I mean, Abraham is just coming down and the angel drops or grabs his hand so he doesn't, doesn't kill the boy. Anyway, Google it. It's cool. I like it. If you don't, that's okay. So, yes, Janie Pinion. Okay. The story, of course, is in Genesis. Yes. Uh, a tiny mention in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. That's right. And in Romans, it's mentioned. Uh huh. And I had a near death experience. I would have gone out to dinner on that the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. So Janie's point is, what was what went through Isaac's mind? um, after that event, and it's actually a very good question because we're going to see um, we're going to see something very similar. We're going to actually see Isaac at the end of his life today. There is a little bit. There is some text, but we're going to see a couple of things. We're going to see. We're going to look at the birth of Isaac's two sons named Jacob and Esau. And by the way, let me preface this whole discussion by saying something important. Um, the Bible is unique in terms of relig- religious texts and how it presents the characters within the book or the books of Scripture. Most holy books, whether it's the Quran or whatever, you know, uh, the Indian, all sorts of different ones there, but they, most, of the, most other religious books always portray the people in the stories, particularly the ones that are on God's side, as heroes, right? And guys that are always doing the right thing. That's not what the Bible does. The Bible is very clear. These guys and, and girls, these people in Scripture, are just as much of a train wreck as you are. <laughs> And I don't mean that, I don't say that pejoratively, me too, I mean all together. So the one thing I want you to understand, and it's so, and we're going to see this today, is that scripture doesn't pull any punches. It is very direct in some of the things that people do that aren't good, but what you see, and I hope you pick, that's kind of the main point of the whole class actually, is you see despite human failing and brokenness, God's grace working through that anyway. Okay, so for example, we're going to look at Jacob, who's a scoundrel, right? And I can relate to Jacob in a, in a certain point when I was a younger man. Uh, but, but, he, you know, but God still works on him and changes him. And you see that transition, um, not yet, but you will later. So, in any event, let's look at, um, let's look at Genesis chapter... We're going to look at Genesis chapter 25. Now, this is, if you, we're on page 19, if you flip over, um, Abraham um, is getting ready to die. And he... Uh, he has, well, he's getting ready to die, die, dies eventually. But we look at the birth of uh, Esau and Jacob, which are, which are 
Isaac's sons. So Isaac is now an old man. We are at chapter 25, verse 19. Okay? You ready? These are the generations of Isaac. Remember I told you way back in the beginning, there's something called a tolida, tolido formula? Remember that? Way back? Again, I'm trying to teach you guys how to read this book and, and how to read it the way it's, with, and knowing the mechanics that are in it. When you see, verse 19 is a perfect example. These are the generations of Isaac. That's kind of like a chapter heading in a book. That's how the Hebrews would do it. So it's like, we're done with Abraham, now we're going to move on to Isaac. It's called a Toledo formula, and it repeats itself. Noah had one. You know, you, you'll see him. Keep your eyes peeled. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padamaran, the sister of Laban, and the Aramean to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is us, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Listen to this, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. That's coming from God. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there's that word, there were two were twins in her womb. The first came out ready, all I'm sorry, red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they named him, called his name Esau, which means red and hairy. <laughs> Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was, was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. This is great. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh-oh. Dysfunctional family 101, boys and girls. So, uh, once, when, once, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red stew. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What do you think of that? Anything jump out at you in there? We're going to dive in a little bit. Jacob, good guy, bad guy? Huh? Sneaky, selfish. Looking, he's a, he is certainly a, an opportunist. Um, he's a good cook, too, apparently. So, I mean, he was hungry. Well, that was Jacob, yeah. Um, anything else jump out at you? I mean, the reason I do the whole what jumped out at you thing, because when you read scripture, one of the reasons I'm, I'm trying to teach you not only to study it, but to read it and have the Holy Spirit speak to you through it. One of the things which I do when I'm reading a text, and actually when I'm doing my sermon prep, I'll, I'll tell you that, honestly, I look for whatever's in the text that just jumps off the page at me, and that's what I dial in on, that's what I preach on. And I think for you, if something jumps out at you at, of the text, dial in on it, because it might be, and it is, the Holy Spirit trying to grab your attention with something. So that's why I try to say to you, does anything jump out at you as we're, we're reading the text? He was hungry enough that 
that he would have given anything. Yes, Jamie said that uh, Esau was hungry enough that he would have done anything for his stew. Yeah, he despised it. Okay, so, he just, so Esau sells his birthright. Jacob is an opportunist. There's a lot of different dynamics going on here. And I, um, but anything else jump out at you? So selling his birthright, that was, I would maybe, I think, pray about that, Janie. Anybody else have something which just jumped out? Why do you say Because he's old. <laughs> I don't know. He's about to die. He's, his days are, are coming to an end. No, no, Abraham was, knew he was about to die. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you meant Abraham. A Esau is engaging in a little um, hyperbole, right? That's what it is. Esau is a man, Esau is a, well, there's a lot of, you can do a lot of character study in these two brothers. But I wanna, so let me, let me, um, let me go back first of all. When you, uh, Esau, Isaac prays, back in the beginning of chapter 25, Isaac prays to the Lord for his wife. Now, why does Isaac, now, remember, Isaac is Abraham's son, the same kid that missed the knife last week. He's now grown. He's six years old. He is going to bear children. And he prays to God for God to give him a, a, a son. Does anybody know why? His wife is unable to have children. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I hope you're beginning to see a pattern. Sarah is that way, right? Um, You'll begin to see, what you see is God, remember, God's covenant runs through this lineage and, and it does it despite violating the laws, laws of primogeniture, which I'll get to in a minute, despite the physical limitations of the people, despite their moral infractions, God's grace and God's um, providence flows through this whole story. So what I want you to see here is you'll see repeatedly uh, in, in the text, there's other examples later on, of a woman who is barren, unable to have a child, uh, or the father for that matter, who knows, um, and God grants that wish. Does that make sense? Now, Isaac is a, a child of his parents, right? I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob and Esau are children of Isaac and Rebekah. They're, they're, they're not supernatural kids, but they are given to God despite the physical limitations of the parents. Does that make sense, everybody? Yeah? Okay. What? I guess. Is it a test of their faith? It could be. I mean, yes, God, Isaac prays to the Lord, and you only pray to the Lord for something if you think he's going to deliver it, right? So I, I would guess in some ways, yes. Um, now look now look at chapter 25. It says that there were two nations were born. In, I want to dial in on this a minute because Jacob seems like a real scoundrel, but you've got to see something very, very clear here. Um, Isaac prayed to the Lord, verse 21, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his Becca, his wife, Rebecca, Rebecca, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. That word for struggled is a, it's kind of like the Eagles fans. <laughs> uh, it's really, it, it's not just like, you know, they're wrestling around. I mean, they're like pummeling each other. It's a, it's a bad scene, and Rebecca was probably having many mornings of very high degrees of difficulty. Um, she went to the Lord to inquire, and the Lord said to you, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. Look, look at this closely. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Okay? So, let me ask you a question. Did Jacob fool Esau? Did he? Did Jacob fool Esau to sell him his birthright? Mm, kinda. He, he was an opportunist. Did Esau give up? Was Esau uh, um, 
not taking proper care of what was entrusted to him as a first son? Yes. But what's really behind it all? Look down again. The older shall serve the younger. And the point I want you to see here is it's very easy to see, and Jacob is a dirty dog. I mean, he's not, he's, his hands are not clean here. And Esau is a foolish man. That's not, but, but the thing I want to point out to you here, it's, it's important, is that despite these two kids being in each other's throats, even in utero, and despite the fact that Jacob is a, a heel grabber, I'll get to that in a minute, and Esau is a fool, God's, God's hand is behind that. So if you don't understand, and actually, let me point something out to you. The older shall serve the younger. That is God telling Rebecca an oracle. In other words, Rebecca should not, Rebecca later on schemes, we're going to get to that in a minute, schemes to get the birthright and uh, to get the inheritance to her son. And it seems like, man, this family is just dysfunctional, which it is. But it's all because of that. In other words, God, what I'm trying to drive at, I guess, here, is I want you to see something important. God uses, and for me, it's, maybe it's the wrong word. God use, I'll, I'll say it. God uses our own sinfulness and brokenness despite ourselves. So, you know, how many people here have ever thought, and you can raise your hand or not, but how many people have ever thought to yourself, oh, man, I can't believe what's happened. God can never make something good come out of this. God can never undo what I've done. God can never make this work. Well, guess what? Don't be, so, don't, be so, don't be so sure about that, because what, the, what appears to be on the surface, just family dysfunction, is actually God's providential plan. Yes? Well, I was just thinking, despite it all, Esau has the right to say he won't do that. I mean, he's, it's still in his, his... That's exactly right. ...to be able to say yes or no to what... That's a very good point. Lynn says Esau could... Now, let me back up. The, the first century... The Jews at the time practiced something called primogeniture, which means that um, most of the estate goes to the firstborn son, which I wish they still do that because I'm the firstborn son in my family. But not so much. Too bad. Uh, anyway, so the estate would go to the firstborn son, along with the right of the, the, all the, uh, the honor of the family, and it's just a lot to it. So Esau had the right, right, to demand to live into his primogeniture. That was the standard practice. And he gives it up. Okay? Did he have free will? Yes, he did. Did God's plan manifest itself anyway? Yes, it did. How do you reconcile those two things? I have the foggiest idea. And nobody else does either. That's why James Johnson and I, is he here? We always tease each other about Calvinism and Arminianism and all that. Nobody really knows how it all works. But what you do see in Scripture repeatedly, to Lynn's point, is human beings acting, uh, making decisions for good or bad, but God's plan manifesting itself anyway, right? How do you reconcile those? How do you reconcile God's providence with human free will? I have no idea. But Scripture claims both. That part is clear. Does that make sense, everybody? That's a really important detail. Um, okay. Anything else? Um, so, so when her days to give birth were completed, there were, behold, there are two twins in her womb. That word behold there, I've said to you before, means pay attention, right? The first one came out with a hairy cloak, so they named him Harry, Esau. The second one came out holding his brother's heel, and they named him Jacob, Jacob, which means, anybody know what Jacob means? Heel grabber. Heel grabber. Very creative. <laughs> um, anybody know what a heel grabber is in the Old Testament? What that, it's not, it's not, it is not a flattering name. Does anybody know what it means to be a heel grabber in the context of first, uh, ancient Judaism? Spoiler. Huh? 
A spoiler, you could say that. A cheater, yeah. A deceptive person. It's somebody who's... What was that? What's that movie that's out now about Tanya Harding? Okay. <laughs> this just popped into my brain. Thank you, Lord. And what happened? So they schemed this whole thing, right? Where they had this, I don't even know the whole story, but somebody hit her with a pipe or a bat or something to knock her down. That's a Jacob thing. The word Jacob, heel grabber, means to grab the heel. And where it comes from is two people trying to run a race. So say Bill Shanklin and I are running side by side, running a race, and he's beating me. And so what do I do? I reach down with my arm and I go, whew, and I grab his heel and he tumbles along and I win. Woohoo! That's what a heel, so a heel grabber, Jacob, Jacob in Hebrew, means somebody who deliberately schemes to undermine somebody else for their own welfare. It's not a flattering word. And of course, Jacob lives up to his name, right? Jacob is a, is a heel grabber. He goes to his brother and, he, and, and his, he fools his brother into giving him the stew. But is it part of God's plan? Yes, it is. Um, one thing I want you to see here, too. Esau, I'm sorry, Jacob, later becomes uh, a guy. What does Jacob's name change into? Anybody remember? Israel. Israel. So names get changed all the time in the Bible. So you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? You know, God, ever notice in Scripture, God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He doesn't refer to himself as the God of the stars and the primordial soup and interstellar moonbeams. No, God defines himself in two ways. His name is I am, right? But he also just, we learn in the New Testament that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he's also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, God reveals himself in relationship, right? And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this guy Jacob, we're going to see this later. Later on, Jacob, after he does a little groan and a little hump, gets a little more humble, and God kicks him around a little bit. Later on, Jacob is in a fight with an angel of the Lord, God himself, you could say. And Jacob and this angel, we'll talk about this later, Jacob and the angel are duking it out, right? Do you know the story? And, he's, and he hits them, and they're fighting, and, they're, and he's wrestling with this the man. We never know. There's no name given to it, but Jacob knows he's wrestling with God. The name. And what happens at the very end? The angel, the, he, what does Jacob do? He's a grabber. What does he do? He grabs on to the angel, and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the angel blesses him, and he knocks his hip out of his socket, and Isaac gets the smackdown. But the point being that God uses Jacob's tenacity for his own to become Israel. He changes his name from Jacob to the name Israel. Anybody know what the name Israel means in Hebrew? It means he who wrestles with God. Israel, E-L is short for Elohim, God. So Jacob's name is changed to Israel, he who wrestles with God, or God wrestler. And then what, does, what are God's people known as in the Old Testament? People who wrestle with God, Israelites. It's fascinating, right? Am I going too fast for you? So the point I'm trying to make to you here is that this, all this stuff flows together. And you begin to see that God in dealing with his people is incredibly patient and incredibly gracious. And even despite our own brokenness and their brokenness, he still works through us despite ourselves. It's fascinating. And God become, and then Jacob becomes he who wrestles with God, meaning I love, I'll just say this for a second and I'll move on. I find it fascinating that the Bible, that God names his people, which includes us, those who wrestle with me. 
Isn't that something? Did you ever, ever think about that before? What does it mean to wrestle with God? It means to ask him questions, why me? Right? You don't ask somebody questions if you don't expect an answer. Or do you ever, you ever wonder, uh, I don't know, why does this happen to this person, this happened to this person? What did I do, Lord? Can I be forgiven? All the things you... Prayer is wrestling with God, isn't it? Asking God for help and direction and wisdom. And I, th- I just think it's so intimate, in a way, and so personal for God to say to you, I love you even though you wrestle with me. Is that something? Yes or no? Yes. I think it's great. Because no other religion in the world says, well, people that the God of the sky really loves are the ones that wrestle with him. Christianity is just crazy in a lot of ways, but it's true. Yes, mugs. That's right. If you don't wrestle with God, you don't wrestle with somebody that you don't actually care about, right? I mean, or you're not, I mean you only wrestle with people in, in whom you have a relationship, right? You don't wrestle with the checker at Publix, but you do wrestle with your little brother in the womb. I got a little brother. He's a, he was a pastor when I was little, too. Um, you do wrestle with people that you love, including God. So I just leave that with you. We'll get to, we'll get to uh, Jacob wrestling with God later. Yes, Lynn. Yes, it is a one-on-one relationship. Yeah. Yes. It's not like you're wrestling the whole group, or he's wrestling the whole group, or whatever. It's you and. <clears throat> you, yeah. Um, anybody here ever wrestle as a kid? Sure. Yeah. You. It's not. It is a very. It is a very close quarters sport, isn't it? You are. It is. It is man to man, or they do women's wrestling. I don't even know. Woman to woman. The point, but whether it's what's that? It's really a downer when you get beat. It is a downer when you get beat. <laughs> But, you, but it is literally, you, it is, you are wrestling with somebody in which you are with close proximity. It's a good point. So anyway, God, um, Israel wrestles with God. So let's, look up, let's continue on here. So Esau, let's look at verse 29. Once Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. That word there means, um, means really, really, really hungry, but not actually close to death. That's an exaggeration. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is this birthright to me? There it is. Do you see that? He has sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Then Jacob gave Esau, I'm sorry, and Jacob said, <laughs> keen mind and, and opportunist that he is, swear to me now, right? I swear, and it means a a promise before God. Swear to me now. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Fair and square. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and Esau despised his birthright. Why do you think he despised his birthright? What do you think? Well, first of all, Jacob keeps his end of the bargain, right? Jacob looks like the bad guy, but who's actually my, who, who do you think is actually just as culpable? What do you think? Wasn't important, yeah. That's right. He was a, Jacob. Esau allowed his immediate satisfaction to get in the way of what he knew was the right thing, right? Anybody here ever do that? Never. Of course not. Never. Um, so anyway, so Esau sells his birthright, and the story then continues. So any, let's move, I want to move on to um, to chapter uh, twenty-seven. Any questions about Jacob and Esau? That's why I don't, we were just trying to wrestle through that a little bit. I think it's because, you know, you ever have something which you make a mistake 
and you recognize it later and then you wind up hating the thing because of the mistake that you made? It could be that. It could also be that Jacob or Esau just didn't care about his birthright. He just despised it, didn't care about it, which, is, which in that culture would have been completely shameful for the family. And in a sense, Jacob's actually doing the old man a favor, right? But not to mention that behind all this, no matter what the reasoning is but for Esau and no matter Jacob's deception and his uh, opportunism, God's behind it all. He also Who did not? With his father. Jacob, Esau. Uh, Esau, Esau, his father loved Jacob and Esau, Esau and his father were, were, on, were on, he was the favorite, right? Rebecca favors Jacob and Isaac favors Esau, right, right. Kind of like, kind of like Ishmael and Isaac, right? Do you see that parallel? Two brothers? Brother from another mother, in this case, was a little different. But those two, we talked about this last week, those two, I mean, what happens when Ishmael and Isaac come, they grow up, what happens to them? It's just toxic. And you see that over and over and over again in Scripture. You see themes. You guys seen the themes yet? I hope so. Yes, Lynn. Just thinking of that sentence, it almost reads like everything before it, and then this is the summation, thus he despised it. That's right. That's right. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, Lynn makes a good observation here. In that last chap, last verse, one thing that Hebrew narrative does frequently is it's repetitive. We've seen that before, right? There's little markers like behold and the Toledo formula, but it'll also summarize the whole point in the last sentence. So, thus Esau despised his birthright. Why did Esau sell his birthright for a bowl of soup? Because he despised it. It's not important. He's too busy with, he's too busy with other things. Yeah, that could be it. Maybe he despises his birthright because it gets in the way of him going out and hunting with his buddies. I don't know. That's right, it would. And he would be responsible. Yeah, and one other thing too, which is interesting, I always read, we're not going to get into this this morning, but I always thought where it says, you know, Esau was a hairy man and Jacob was a smooth man, right? which just kind of just sounds weird. I always thought that meant like one was really masculine and one was more or less masculine. How's that? It actually is an interesting word. The way, the way that the, the Hebrew plays out is actually, um, the word that describes Jacob actually means righteous. A, hair, a smooth man actually means somebody who's morally upright, which is just strange, but that's what it means. So anyway, and one other quick thing, I'll move on, um, just because it's sort of interesting. Later on, you know when David, David, again, the younger, who is all, you know, and this whole idea of the, the, the older serving the younger happens repeatedly. We see it here. We see it with Joseph and his brothers. We see it with David and his brothers. It's another repeating theme that the older serves the younger boy. When David is born, how, does anybody remember how uh, Samuel identifies him by physical appearance? He has bright eyes. He has bright eyes, and what else? Red. He's red. It's the same word that describes Esau. He's red. Probably means he had red hair. But nobody knows. Anyway, a little interesting nugget there. So, let's move on to, yes. Um, it, it seems strange to me that he uh, wouldn't love one another. You know, the, the fact that he had to give such a huge uh, treasure, so to speak, for food. And here they are, brother. How many people do you know that don't go to church because they're too busy with their, chasing their careers? How many people do you know that ignore their relationship with God for money, sex, and power? How many people do you know that uh, could care less about having a relationship with Jesus Christ? Anybody here? 
guess what? That's the most important thing in your, in your entire world. And people throw it away. You know why? They despise it. So it's, we're, most people are not too far away from good old Esau here, are they? But yes? By virtue of the fact that they make a point of saying that the father loved one and the mother loved the other, right? That's yeah, well, the, that's exactly right. Um, Marilyn's point is that, the, is that there's conflict in the family, not only between the two boys, but between the parents. Clearly, we're going to see that, see that more in a minute. This is a this is a family, right? And there's conflict, and there's brokenness, and there's favoritism, and there's undermindedness, and there's all sorts of juicy stuff, which we're going to get to right now. So, is it, is it our birthright then to be in relationship with God? Yes. As a Christian, your birthright is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, who died for your sins. That offer is made to every human being on this planet, and most people despise it. Right? They sell it for a bowl of stew for the immediate gratification at the expense of what is truly their privilege to own, by virtue of being given to them, right? Esau's, birth, Esau's birthright was given to him by grace. He didn't earn it. His dad just gives it to him. Just like salvation to us is earned by God's grace, and most people throw that away too. Anyway, think about that. That'll preach, huh? Anyway, let's move on. Okay, so verse chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, boy, I know that feeling, so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. Interesting. Father like son. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul, that my, wait a minute, that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. What has Esau done? He has, Jacob is, so I'm getting confused with the names here. Um, Isaac has called Esau, the hairy man, the hunter, and said, go out and fetch me some food. I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm going to bestow, bestow primogeniture to you, right? What's the problem here? He's already, well, he sold his birthright, yeah? But the other, the, the backstory here is that Isaac should know better because God had already told Rebecca when the boys were conceived that the younger would serve, that the older would serve the younger. So Isaac is culpable here too. There's a lot of, a lot of layers to this whole mess. You with me? So Isaac is culpable as well. Now Rebecca was listening. Ah, here we go. When Isaac spoke to his son Esau, you know when um, when we saw Abraham and God visited Abraham and God said he was going to give him a son. And Sarah was listening, you know, she's standing outside the door, and she laughs. Don't miss the parallel. Now, now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Boy, she's smart. wonder where the kid gets it from, right? Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Um, before we get into that, let me just say one quick thing. Uh, Isaac is preparing to do what? To die. 
And he says that he is going to bless his son before the Lord. Right? Don't, don't miss that. And it's interesting, too, that Isaac is blind, right? Blind, <laughs> physically blind. He's an old man. How old he is? I don't know how old. But he's old enough that he can't see well. He's blind, and yet who sees the clarity of the situation? Rebecca, right? She sees what's going on here. And then, um, so anyway, he, uh, Rebecca was listening, and um, notice here in verse 6, um, look at this. This is actually another example of the favoritism thing. Rebecca said to her son Jacob. See that? Not son Esau. There's a lot of brokenness in that. Okay. So let's move on. So let's um, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So mom's part of this whole thing. But she also knows because the, the Lord had told her. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebecca, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is an hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and, be, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Interesting, that's what actually happens to Esau. His mother said to him, Let your curse be upon me, my son. Obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father... And he said, Here I am. Where are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Now, interestingly, do you remember, remember last week when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain? And he said, Isaac, the same Isaac who's now about to die. And, is, and he says, Isaac, and what does Isaac say? He says, Here I am, father. Remember that? It's the exact same phrase. It's meant to be. It's meant to be now... <laughs> Isaac, who had said to Abraham, in faithfulness, here I am, father, right? Now, his son, where are you, my son? Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. So not only is Esau using the same wording that Isaac had used before, he's actually doing it and lying to him about it. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the... <laughs> He, this is great. Because, where did I, I lost my, because the Lord your God granted me success. Now, wait a minute. Is that actually true? Yes. In a sense. In a sense. Do you see that? Do you see the, it's really, really subtle. But Jacob is saying, and he's lying about it, the Lord has granted me success. The Lord didn't grant him success. His mother cooked dinner for him and lied. But is God actually behind the scenes, despite all this lying and deceit, is God, has God actually done it? And the answer is what? Yes. Because yes. <laughs> he said he would back when, when the boys were born. And again, to the point, God uses our brokenness and his will is fulfilled despite the, the, the things we do. How is it you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Isn't that interesting? Not my God. 
Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. Do you think he trusts him? No. You guys, you guys know your children well, right? They've got different personalities. <coughs> Jacob has uh, been a heel grabber since he was a little kid. And, you know, Isaac's learned a lesson or two over the years. And he's, he's, he's kind of, even though he can't see, he knows that something is potentially up. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near him, and he ate, and he brought the wine, and he drank. What do you make of all this, friends? Is this, um, what do you make of that? Let me stop there. I'm just kind of doing a lot of talking here. Anybody, do you think, uh, do you think Jacob's wrong? Yes or no? I do. Is he, de- is he deceptive? Absolutely he's a lie. Is he breaking one of the Ten Commandments? Yipper. He sure is. Um, is, is, uh, is Isaac potentially at fault? Is he? That's a good, I mean, we don't know, it's an argument, I can't say. Who know, I, you know, that's a good question. There's two, actually, there's two questions. Does, does Isaac know, A, that Esau had sold his birthright? Presumably, yes. I mean, Jacob would have told the old man, hey, Dad, you know what Esau did last week? Right? I have a little brother, and he always ratted on me when I did something wrong. <laughs> so there's that, there's that piece, right? That, that, there's also the other piece, though, of God telling Rebekah that the younger would serve the older. So Isaac should have known both those things. Does he know them already in his heart? I think so. We don't know. The text does not say. But he, but he, he clearly knows something's up. Right? How many, anybody here ever know something is wrong and do it anyway? Raise your hand, of course. Okay, so it's to the point, right? I hope, this is the thing I want you always to see in these stories, is I always want you to see yourself in it. And maybe not, if it's not exactly you, but usually it is exactly you or somebody that you know very well. But the point I want you to see is Isaac should have known better, right? The hus- the, a father of a household is responsible for his family in, in, the, in, in the Christian view and in the Jewish view. So he is responsible for, over, for being, if he knows these things, which he clearly did, of taking accountability for them. Anyway, so, um, yes. I don't know that for sure, but I'm assuming he. I'm assuming he did. I don't know that for sure. You know, well, yeah. Marty said she does not think that Rebecca would have told Isaac that the younger would serve the older. Who knows? Yeah, they're clearly not a very close marriage, so because she is deceptive. Well, that's a good question, though. Is Rebecca being deceptive, or is she just the instrument that God uses? I mean, the answer is yes. Is she deceptive? Yes, but is she also the instrument that God uses? It's just this crazy human thing we do. Okay. Um, verse 29. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, This is great. See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your own mother's sons bow down to you. Here is Isaac speaking a prophetic utterance. 
Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Um, do you remember that God said to Abraham there would be a lineage of a Abraham, Isaac? Remember? What you're seeing is the, what you're seeing is, remember the covenant we looked at a couple last fall of God making the covenant with Abraham? Remember, remember what happened? God makes a covenant where he says to Abraham, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you and your seed. Remember that? And what happens is a mark of that covenant. The animal is split in two, right? The torch passes through. Does Abraham ever pass through? No. That's huge. And this is why it's huge. Because what, you, what you'll see here in the Old Testament, what you see is God's covenantal promise despite the brokenness of the people that he is called to serve him. In other words, in a covenant, ordinarily, a covenant, if I make a covenant with Father Switz and I break my end of the bargain, he's out of the covenant, right? But what God is saying is, oh, no, no, no. I'm making my covenant with you and Abraham, Isaac, and his seed forever, no matter what you do. In other words, the, God's people, can we reject God? Yes, but God will never reject us. Does that make sense? And in other words, we can turn away from him, we can choose hell, and most people do. But God will never, but God will never um, not keep his end of the bargain of offering us salvation purely because of our own brokenness. And that's, that's kind of the whole subtext of all this, is that God keeps his covenantal promise does not, despite human sinfulness and brokenness. Despite Isaac being uh, uh, a ding-dong and not knowing any better, besides Rebecca being a liar, besides Jacob being deceptive, besides Esau being uh, foolish, God's plan is still worked out. Praise be to God. Any comments or observations? I want to wrap up. Um, somebody had a hand up. Are you guys, are you guys seeing any, you know, any kind of pastoral stuff with this? I hope you are. Okay. Um, listen to this. Okay, so now, now it gets really dicey. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Uh-oh, it's, it's party time. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently. That word means complete and utter anger. It means some, I've never actually been this angry in my life, but I know people that have been, where you just kind of like lose your mind. That's what it's describing. Um, I, um, his father, uh, then Isaac trembled very violently and he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it before you came in and I've blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Oh, man. Strong language. And said to his father, where is it? Bless me even also, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is, it not rightly is he not rightly named Jacob, the heel grabber? <laughs> For he has cheated me these two times, this, the, stew, the red stew incident and now this. He has cheated me these two times. Uh, uh, verse 36. For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. 
Did he take it away? No, Esau gave it away. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac and said to Esau, Behold, I've made him lord over you and all his brothers. I've given to him, I've given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and said, uh, and wept. Now, let me show you something here. God, when, when, when Isaac blesses his son, he is conferring the covenantal promise. That's what he's doing. Before God. It says back there, he, I, I will bless you before God, which he does. Can he change his mind? No. And this is actually part of the reason, Marty, Marty why I think Isaac knew all along this was going to happen. Or maybe had a, maybe isn't all terribly surprised because Rebecca may have told him about that the younger would serve the older. But the point being, Isaac is not able to give his other son um, the cup. Not is not is not able to give him a second part of his blessing. Yes. How do you square that with that is not how it would work in real life? The father would say, I would say to my oldest son, "You tricked me. You deceived me." Bets off and clean the slate. That's what somebody would do. Yeah, that's right. Not true in the Jewish that's right, but in, in, that, in that culture, of the, in the Jewish culture of the time, he, okay, let me, let me back up a second. If you, okay, so I've got a dad, right? And he turns 75 next week, actually. He will be, he has, if he was to give me part of his estate and I was to deceive him, he could change the will and give it to my younger brother, right? He could do that. Um, but this is a different situation. This is a situation where primogeniture is a, is a different animal because you, your estate goes to the firstborn son, whether you like him or not. So it's not a matter of being deceived or not deceived. It's not a matter of being of any of these things. It's a matter of that is just the way that the culture worked and done a little different nuance from sort of a modern um, um, legal, legal framework is that Isaac has made this pledge before God. So we can't rescind it. Best I can do for you. But under false pretenses. Uh, yes, but under false pretenses. But but the backstory again is yes, Father. I was gonna say like when you get married for better or worse, you don't know your spouse going into it, right? Like you, that's fair. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, that's right. So it's a covenantal relationship that he's entered into um, that is an inviolate covenant. I guess you could say that very well. Uh, under false pretenses, yes. Um, but is it under false pretenses? Because Rebecca had been told before that this is what God was going to do in the first place. So, it's a, it's, I, I, I squirm at that. I squirm, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I squirm at that too. Uh, and I did a lot of digging into this because I knew somebody was going to ask me that question. In fact, I asked myself that question. Because to me, the obvious one is, well, why not just give, you know, throw the guy a crumb for crying out loud, right? He's... He got tricked, but the way it worked, primogeniture works in ancient Jewish thought, is, it's a, it, is a, it is a inviolable covenant you make with your firstborn son um, before God, or a, or a son before God, and it's um, irrevocable. So, not the same as it would be today, but it's a fair question. Um, and notice that, did you notice something here too? I want to show you real quick, and then we can take some, a few questions. Look at verse 34. Um, Uh, verse 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, now Esau gave this birthright up. This isn't Jacob's fault. 
right? So is it false pretense? Well, not really. The, the older gave it away. He was hungry. Give the, <laughs> little red stew solves all your problems. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. What's he doing? He's angry at the old man. And he's begging. But he's angry. But he's not pleading. It's actually, if you look at the text here, he's not pleading. He's angry. Remember when, when Adam, and when, uh, when um, at the fall, back in Genesis chapter 2, when the snake says to Adam, what have you done? And Adam says, it's her fault. Remember that? Or when, Ad, when Abraham says, this woman that you gave me. Remember that? No, no. Adam says, this woman that you gave me. That's the same thing. Esau is blaming Isaac. Anyway, and Esau, this is your point, Don, Esau gave it up to begin with for a bowl of stew. He sold his birthright for something of, for an immediate gratification. Well, but he yells at his father, bless me also, even all, bless me even also, my father. So, maybe, I'm sure he's, you know, anger is one of those, anger is one of those things too where uh, when you're really hot, it's like, you know, anybody in your way just gets a dose of that wrath, right? So, I don't know that he's really... Nailing it. Anyway. Um, anyway, that's all I've got for that. Anybody want to comment on anything in that text? Yes, Marilyn. Question. In, at that time, under Jewish law, primogeniture and the covenant with God were one and the same. Primogeniture was a covenant. Primogeniture was not just a legal arrangement like you would have today with a will. It was actually something, a covenant you made before God that this person would, would, would receive, because you, you don't only get just the dough and the money, you get the family estate, which is how you define yourself as a Jew, the land, and all the people that were of your household, the slaves, you, your responsibility as the, as the head of all that was to care for those people by God, under God's headship. Does that make sense? It's not just an, it's not just an economic, it's not just a transfer of wealth. It, is, uh, it was essentially Jewish law that combined <clears throat> both what we look at as civil, civil for example. Correct. It is a, yeah, and actually a good, a good point too. Ancient Judaism was a theocracy where the religion and the uh, laws were commingled. Okay, that's a very good point, which is totally different from today, but it was the case back then. So, anyhow, um, what do you make of this? Yes. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, uh, her comment was, there are similarities between this story and Jesus' telling of the prodigal son, uh, right? Where the, which the prodigal son is the younger, right? Who gets the wealth, and the older one who gets smoked. Um, although he gets, he gets, that's actually a different, that's a, a kind of a, an interesting uh, angle because the younger son goes to the dad and says, hey, dad, give me my stuff, and dad's not dead yet. Kind of a, it's a pretty insulting thing to ask for your share of the estate before the old man's actually departed. So um, there's that angle too. But then you're right. There's the younger son who is gets the benefit of the wealth of the estate, and the older son who is uh, begrudgingly begrudges the uh, the other boy. Even though, even though interestingly, in that exchange in the story of the prodigal son, the younger son gets what would have gotten to him anyway. But the father says to the older son, everything I have is yours. That's right. That's my point. So that's my point. The, the, uh, the, in, the, in the story of the prodigal son, so if you have primogeniture, right, the older son gets the majority of the estate, the other one gets part of it too. There's just some kind of breakup is how that gets allocated. The younger son gets his piece. 
Um, the older son would get his part too, but the older son's angry because he's jealous. That's another whole good story to get into. Yes? Is what happened between Esau and Jacob, is this fulfilling God's promise, or did God know these That's a very good question. Her, her question is, is, uh, is, this, is there deception fulfilling God's promise, or did God know this is what I was going to shake out? That's a very, very good question. You, you, have to be very, you have to be very careful. I mean, this is the thing you have to... One thing I always say to people to keep in mind is that we... When you ask yourself questions like that, it's a very good question. Let me give you an easy way to wrap your mind around it. Remember something very, very important when it comes to uh, God's providence and human free will, and it's this. Uh, you and I exist in time, right? He does not. So you and I see today as... What is today? The... Uh, the 8th of February, 455, right? 2018. That's where we are. So we see the past, we can remember it, and the future we can predict. And if somebody could see the future, you would say they're seeing into the future, right? That's not how God is. God sees, God is atemporal. He's outside of time. Therefore, he sees everything all at once. So to say that God foreknew something is to explain God's existence. It's, it's to, um, sorry? It's, it's, it is in word, uh, not personification, but it's basically trying to, you're trying to think, God operates in a, God just sees all of it. I mean, let me draw it for you. Did I ever draw the number line for you? This will help you. This actually helped me when I, someone showed this to me once as a potential theory for how to solve this problem. Here's the beginning of time. Here's the end of time. Okay? You and I are somewhere on this line. That's to say we're right there, but we could be anywhere. Who knows? Okay, we call this part in, in what? The past. We call this the future. Do we know the past? Eh, kind of. We recall it, but past, yeah. Right? Do we know the future? No, but we can kind of guess at it, right? But here's the interesting thing. God is actually here. Okay? So God is simultaneously at the end of the world and at the beginning of the world right now. He's outside of time. He is, he is by definition, atemporal. He's outside of time. He created it. So to put it to you this way, God is right now at my birth, death, and the second coming right now. He exists there. So to say that God foreknew something or predicted something, you're putting, you're putting God's perception of time into your own perception of time. Is that, is that helpful? It's a, it's a, and again, this is the fish trying to wonder what it's like outside the fishbowl. You and I are all temporal beings, so we're kind of bound by the limitation of our brains. But a theory is that, that if God is atemporal, which he is, he exists at all points of time simultaneously, which means he doesn't just know what's going to happen. He's already there. So, so it is always now. It is always now. What is, and in fact, that's a good point. Janie says, in God's point... From God's perspective, it is always now. When, when, when Moses meets God on the burning, in the burning bush, what does God say is his name? I am. I am, right? Which is a nonsense expression in English, and it's a nonsense expression in Hebrew. And the word is actually, ready for this? In Hebrew, it's a continuous word. That is the best definition of God's name. Yahweh, I isness. What does that mean? I have the foggiest idea, and neither do you. But the point being, when you just say everything for God is now, God just says, I just am. Okay? 
It doesn't mean he's the great Oz. He's, he is also has an, a very intimate relationship with you and a personal one, but he's also is. Isness. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. That's, how, that's why with the, when you get into the whole Calvinism and predestination and election stuff and all that, James and I have talked about this, and I wish he was here, but whenever we get into that, I always say to him, well, James, God did that. How does God do something before anything? If he is, and, and you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a great question to think about. The problem is you and I are in the fishbowl. We don't quite know how, how God thinks outside that fishbowl. Did, did I answer your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, anything else? <laughs> yes? When he says the, the, the older will serve the younger, he's already seen. That's right. So Paul's point is, when he says the older will serve the younger, God is not predicting, he's describing. Okay? That's a fair way to look at it. He's not predicting, he's describing. But has it happened yet from Jacob and Esau's perspective? No. Has it happened from God's perspective? Yes, it has. Well, he did the same thing when, when he said that to Rebecca. That's right. That's right. And this happened. If you, you know, God, Jesus says, for example, before Abraham was, Jesus says of himself, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, so just don't put God in your, don't put, don't be careful that you don't over-personify God because he's a lot bigger than we are. And his, his, his existence of reality is far different than yours and I, ours is when it comes to temporal things. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. I will, and one, more, one, one good note, too, about all that is God is right now not only at 5 o'clock, which we're going to wrap up on February the 8th, he's also at the resurrection, and he's also at the uh, rest, restoration, and he's, also, he's in all these things all at the same time. Now, why? He's not in time. He's outside of it. So keep that in mind, too. <laughs> so that's it. Christine just said, that. you're right. It makes your head swim because we are, we are temporal beings. But... Anyway, I'm just trying to give you some, a framework to, to potentially think through it. Um, anything else? I'm going to wrap up. Did he sell short? Did he what? Did he sell short? Yeah. Does he sell or buy? That's a good question. Boy, oh boy. Uh, one more quick thing. If anybody would like, um, um, the scriptures are on that little table right there, if anybody would like one. Next week, we're going to talk about the, uh, the continuation of the story, the restoration of Jacob and Esau, which is a really, really great text. So we'll see you next Thursday. So we, uh, and now uh, don't forget, next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Ashes will be at noon and 6 next Wednesday uh, on Ash Wednesday as we start Lent. The Lord be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We pray for your grace to be with us. We thank you, Lord, for the story of Jacob and Esau and their parents and their family to show us once again that despite our own brokenness and our own sin, you are, your, your ways are made known and your will is done. We thank you, Lord, for your word that teaches us and challenges us. Help us to, be, um, help us to see ourselves in it and, and your son, Jesus, who saves us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, we ask that you like, subscribe, or share this message. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity Episcopal Church, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.